All right, welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit Podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Jackie Mitchell. Jackie Mitchell. Today, we are going to talk about the flood subsiding mm-hmm. and the initial promise of God that comes to Noah after the flood subsides and how that promise, the first covenant, which we typically dismiss, yeah. and we think of it a little bit simplistically, is actually the foundation of everything that goes forward, mm. right? So so we do in church talk about the Abrahamic covenant sometimes. We certainly mm-hmm. talk about the Mosaic covenant, mm-hmm. and we talk about the new covenant with Christ, but we rarely talk about the Noahic covenant. Yeah. And when we do, like I said, it tends to be a little bit of a simplistic understanding of it. And so hopefully by the end of this, we just get a little bit more of a clear, full picture of what that promise is that mm-hmm. God makes to Noah. So, so we'll get into that here in a second. We're, we're uh, approaching lunch hour. It's getting close. Which we talked last time, very dangerous territory I'm treading on right now with Jackie. He has an hour and no more. And so my, my question for you is, what do you, what do you have for lunch today? Oh, I have leftovers. Oh, she packed. Yeah, I packed. I know. Isn't it always, it's so funny when you ask someone if they packed or not, everyone either says, no, I didn't pack. I could go somewhere or yeah, I packed. It's never like, yeah, dude, I packed. It's so great. It's like, like defeat. Yeah. Yeah. I packed my lunch. I know. And it's a responsible thing to do. No, yeah. But it's not as fun. No, that's the thing. Every time I pack my lunch when I'm packing it the night before, because it's usually just leftovers from dinner. I'm like, this is really good. I'm really on top of things. I'm packing my lunch. And it's like when people ask, like, hey, we're going to lunch. Do you want anything? It's like embarrassing. No, I packed my oh, lunch. Pack. I'm so sorry. I know. And I usually just make myself a sandwich, which like makes it even more boring. <laughs> not even like cool leftovers. I know. Like a good dinner I had before or whatever. It's I know. Like, Why is it not cool to pack leftovers? <laughs> Why is it cool for me to spend money? I, and I actually felt this way. Like, you know, cafeteria food in schools is not great. But I always felt, but I was yeah. packed. My mom packed Same. for me every day. And I always, I actually always felt like it was cooler to it, buy. Yeah, it felt cool. We were allowed, we would get the, the menu for like the whole month yeah. on a calendar. And we were allowed to circle like three days Ooh, nice. in advance. My mom would let us pick like, okay, and I want that meal and that meal. Yeah, that's good. And the days, my mom packed us amazing meals. And then the days that I was eating, like I circled like cafeteria pizza. I was strutting into school <laughs> like, all right, I'm buying lunch today. Oh, yeah. Like P- Pizza like Fridays my, were a big deal. Like my mom didn't make like way better food for <laughs> me. <laughs> no. Yeah. And then uh, the one thing about, like, I was just thinking about this the other day. I don't know if they still do this, but when I was in school, we had like chocolate milk or, or mm-hmm. white milk that you could buy in bags. Oh, I didn't have that. It was a bag of chocolate milk that you stuck a straw into a plastic bag and it was clear and it was like, you know, it was like the, isn't that crazy? Well, how Canadian? It wasn't that's even like, cartons. That's like very bags Canadian. Canadians have like big bags of milk and then you put it in like a pitcher. Really? That's like how they buy their milk. Yeah. Where'd you go to school? Canada? I know. I went to like a nice suburban school. I don't oh, know. No. Old Tansy High School. I, no, bring it we up had... With, bring it up with them. But everyone drank, was drinking out of bags of milk. That's just Never so, had that's one. That's so funny to me. So interesting. That's like of all the abominations of school lunchtime, that has to be the a worst. A bag of milk a is bad. A bag of milk. Yeah. 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 But Pizza Fridays were a big deal. And today is Thursday, which is like our... Our Friday. It's our Friday. Because we, we work on Sunday. Should we get pizza for lunch? Is that what you're implying? That's what I'm saying. Like it may, I, I always, packed, but maybe I'll forgo it. I, I don't know. I actually always feel like on Thursday, like we should like do do it up. <laughs> do, do it big. You're go, making me more sad pizza. about what I packed go for get, myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so what kind of leftovers do you have? Is it at least good? Or is yeah, it like it's good. Boring? I have meatballs and like green beans and stuff. 
There we go, Jackie. Well, I won't, it's I won't, fine. I won't keep you from that. So why don't we, why don't we get started? I'm thinking right? about it now. Yeah. I'm ready to <laughs> you're, eat. You're going to be distracted this whole episode. <laughs> All right. So, so last week we talked about the 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 flood story and how mm-hmm. the waters come from above and below, uh, which is representative and points directly back to Genesis one, which is when God created the world, He separated those waters from mm-hmm. the place where humans are supposed to dwell, so that we can dwell there and flourish. And so then in the decreation of the world, both by our sin and by the flood that God sends upon the world in judgment, uh, those waters come crashing back down mm-hmm. into this. And the only remnant of life is this floating microcosm of Eden, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. will go on to be the tabernacle, which will go on to be the temple. Mm-hmm. But it's this floating microcosm of, of, of Eden that is the seed of new creation. So one thing that Jesus is going to say in his ministry is he's when he's telling them that he's going to die and they don't quite understand, mm-hmm. he says, well, for, for a tree to grow, the seed has to go into the ground and die. Mm-hmm. He's talking about his death and resurrection. But this was foreshadowed in the scriptures by stories like this. Mm-hmm. The ark, life, the seed of new creation goes into the floodwaters, mm-hmm. goes into the chaos, and then from that is born a new creation. Uh, all the animals, you know, the the humans, they they come out of this, having gone basically down into the depths. We we saw this when we talked about um, Jonah. Yeah, he goes down into the to the death, into the darkness, all the way down into the abyss, and then when he comes out, he he brings forth new creation for the people that he preaches to in Nineveh, mm-hmm. right? And so there's this idea that a seed has to go into death and die in order for new creation to come about. Mm -hmm. Most explicit and manifest in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, but that's not the first time we see it. Yeah, It's even right here, right? And so uh, we talked about this last time, but it's important to rehash that that again, everything that is alive lives in God. Mm. And so it's very counterintuitive. And so it's worth talking about again, we do not just exist. Life does not just exist, it's not a given. It's not something that we should take for granted. It is not a brute fact. It is not something that we're owed. Mm-hmm. It is the grace of God. Existence itself is, is the grace of God. So we and everything else that exists, exists because he wants us to exist and he makes it so. And that's the foundation of biblical anthropology mm. and ontology, which is the, the study of being. And so when humans ruin the earth through sin, violence, chaos, and death, doing exactly the opposite of what humans were created to do, when they miss the mark, when they chata and sin, they miss the mark of being his images, then that life is taken away. Mm. And it really reframes our question that we tend to ask about the story, which is, is this fair? Yeah, we talked about that. Right, we talked about that last time. And so the point of the flood story is that God in his grace is starting over mm-hmm. and he's starting over with righteous Noah and his family. And what he wants to bring to fruition is the same thing he always wanted to bring to fruition, which mm-hmm. is Eden, the flourishing of life, a creation that he brought forth out of love. He wants it to flourish. And so it cannot be in the state that it was before. Mm-hmm. And so here we get the, the, the start of that. Yeah, I hope no one messes it up again. Yeah, I'm sure it'll go. I'm sure it'll go great. <laughs> so, okay, let, let's let's start with uh, eight one through five. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and He sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded, 
Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down and on the 17th day of the 17th month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat? Ararat, yeah. Ararat, okay. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Okay, so there's a couple words that we should at least unpack here. The first one is that word remembered. Mm. And we'll see this again and again, that God remembered Noah. Yeah. And we kind of, when we read that, because of the way that, what that word means to us, we were like, did he forget him for yeah. 40 days? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, Noah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so that word uh, is the Hebrew word zakar. And it's used a lot in scriptures. And when it's used with God, it 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 mostly means that he is fulfilling his promise that he mm, made, right? Okay. So he made a promise. So like, you know, we have to put human terms to, to these things that God does, even mm-hmm. though he's beyond us. And so it's like, he made this promise, which was that he was gonna bring Noah through the flood. And so for him to remember is for him to remember his covenant, mm. right? That for him to remember what he promised mm. and bring that to fruition. Um, when, uh, when later when Abraham, uh, when God's, you know, with Abraham and, and bringing the nation of Israel through him, uh, Sodom is being destroyed. And uh, his, uh, Abraham's cousin Lot is in Sodom. And so it says that God remembers Abraham when Sodom is being destroyed yeah. and spares Lot. And so it doesn't mean that he forgot Lot was in there. Yeah. It means that he made a promise to Abraham and he remembers that, right? He, he remembers Rachel and enables her to conceive. Hmm. Uh, when he hears the groaning of the Israelites in Egypt, he remembers them. And then the Israelites are called to remember the Sabbath. Yeah. David calls upon the Lord a lot in the Psalms to remember him. Yeah. And so, you know, David had a, a, a an understanding of God that is probably much more you know, I don't know, high and lofty than we do. Mm. So David did not think that God like forgot him. Yeah, like maybe God didn't know him and was like, (laughs) and what's your name again? Right. He said, no, you made a promise to me, God. Yes. Remember me. Yeah. And when God gives the the Israelites the covenant and he gives them the law, he says, remember the law. Not just remember that I did this, but fulfill what we've covenantially promised to do. Right. Bring it into your mind, yeah. and then and then move in that. Right? There's mm-hmm. this interesting story when Joseph is in Egypt mm-hmm. at the end of Genesis. He's working for Potiphar, who's kind of like the the right hand man of Pharaoh, and he's accused falsely by Potiphar's wife of taking advantage of her, and he's put in jail. And while he's in jail, he meets a cupbearer and a baker who have offended Pharaoh, and so they're put in the same prison. And while they're in jail, both of those officials, the cupbearer and the baker have, have a dream on the same night, but they can't interpret the dream. Hmm. And so Joseph interprets the dream for them. And when he interprets the dream for the cupbearer specifically, it has to do with his standing of Pharaoh and it's really good news. Hmm. And so it's basically that he's gonna be restored to his position with, with Pharaoh. And so the cupbearer is obviously elated by this. Yeah. And so Joseph says, okay, when all goes well with you, when what I just said is gonna happen happens to you, remember me. Basically, like, mm. tell Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, 
right. not like remember my name. <laughs> right. Remember that you remember help me. Remember what yeah. I did for you. And right. so remember me. And uh um all that Joseph predicts in the dream comes true. And chapter 40 ends with the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. Mm. He forgot him. So even that does not mean he forgot that there was a guy named Joseph and it just yeah. slipped his mind. It means that he's not making good on what he should make good on. Yeah, That's what it means to forget. The opposite is to remember, which is to make good on the promises that you, that you make. Yeah, And so this is, this is what God is getting at, right? So, so this word zakar, it's not that something that, that Noah slipped God's mind and then he remembered him yeah. or that the Israelites slipped God's mind when they were in slavery in Egypt. And then he remembered them. Yeah. It means that, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be faithful to what he said he would do. Mm. And so he does what he promises and he said he will deliver Noah. And so to remember Noah here means to fulfill the promise. Mm. There's also this word that we translate as wind, which is the, the it's a correct translation. The Hebrew word is ruach. Hmm. which means wind. It also means spirit and it also means breath, hmm. right? So it's the same, the same word. It has kind of a broad semantic that theme range. Again. Yeah. And so God's spirit, which gives life precedes the, re the restarting of life. What, what does it say? The wind, yeah. uh, he sent a wind over the earth. He sent a ruach. He sent his spirit over the earth. And so, uh, um, this is how the earth is going to begin to come to life again. Mm -hmm. You mentioned this last episode, what hovered above the water in Genesis 1, 2. Yeah, the spirit of God. The ruach of God. Yeah. So the ruach of God now again is hovering over the waters. It's, it's going over the, the waters. And um, the literal translation of, and he sent a wind over the earth is, is that, and he caused a wind or a spirit to pass over the earth, mm. which is another thing that should set off alarm bells in our head. If we, if we know the story going forward, there's going to be this thing called the Passover yeah, where the judgment of God is going to pass over the people who are marked by the blood of the lamb and they're going to be delivered. Mm -hmm. So here you have the spirit of God passing over the waters and life is going to be delivered through the waters, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, the the it's not like super relevant here, but when it says that the waters begin to recede, that word recede is the Hebrew word shuv, which is the same word as repent. Mm. And the reason that's important is because, not that the waters are repenting in the way that you and I repent, but it's because what that word literally means is to turn around. Still a little bit how we <laughs> repent, yeah, really, exactly. when you think about exactly. it. Exactly. So, we think repenting is just saying sorry. Right. But it's also a turning it's from a movement sin. Yeah. towards God, away from the idols, away from whatever you're worshiping. Yeah. And so it is to turn around. So the so the floodwaters have come up and now to recede is to turn around, is to shoot. Mm -hmm. And so you start to lay the foundation of of even a word like that. And so this is where repentance is going to come from. Mm. We're called to to shoot. In Greek, it's metanoia. But in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, every time it says shuv, it uses that, that same word. Hmm. Um, and so then finally, the ark comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat. What a name. Yeah, Ararat. That doesn't really work very well with the way that we do consonants. No, I stumbled over it for so, sure. Yeah, yeah. 
So Ararat is, is a region. And so it's actually an ancient kingdom, uh, Uratu. And this was like a kingdom like nine, the ninth century, sixth century BC in what is now Armenia. Okay. Modern day Armenia, which is east of Turkey, north of Iran, south of Georgia, in that Middle East area. And uh, there is a mountain there, like a peak there called Mount Ararat. Oh, And that's okay. an actual peak. And this is, a, this is technically in modern day Turkey, but that's because it was taken from Armenia in the Armenian genocide mm. that, that happened in, 20, in the 20th century. It was like 1.5 million Armenians were killed by the Turks. Wow. In, in this genocide. And the, the, re, you know, the borders of Turkey moved. And so this mountain peak is now in Turkey, it's like 16,000 feet high. Mm. So it's a very high peak. It's the highest peak in the region. And so the classic understanding has been that that peak is where the ark would have landed because at least in that geographic region, that's the highest point. Okay. So yeah. as the floodwaters shove and turn around and recede. The first thing that... Yeah, it comes to rest on the first place. Yeah, The highest sure. peak, right? Which is which would be Mount Ararat. Um, but, you know, you, you have to take those kinds of things somewhat lightly sure. and hold them somewhat loosely because it does not say that it came to rest on Mount Ararat. It says it came to rest in the mountains of Ararat. So somewhere along that. And it's a mountainous region. Range. It's lots of peaks. Sure, yeah. Right? So, so maybe it was that peak, maybe, maybe it wasn't. Uh, but, but that is why, you know, to this day, that's kind of where people have looked for remnants of the ark mm. and tried to uncover remnants of the ark. People have claimed to have found remnants of the ark. I actually think there's, there's part of it in some museum huh. out that way that people claim are that. Uh, but, but, you know, that, that's kind of how the tradition has gone. Uh, the Armenians are traditionally Christian. And so they, they you know, put themselves into this story and, and they think, you know, a lot of, a lot of Armenians, Christians believe that the Armenian people were founded by one of Noah's sons. Oh, I like by that. Japheth. Interesting. Because that's where the ark comes to rest, right? Hmm. In, in that area. Uh, and so in terms of the story, the waters start to recede, the waters turn around and the flood starts to subside. Mm. So let's do eight through uh, uh, eight, six through 12. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. The dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. Mm. So you get some more 40s and 7s here. Yeah. Right, and, and we, we talked symbolically about what these things mean. Seven has to do with completion and wholeness. Forty has to do with waiting and trusting and being refined and, and testing. You know, if you send a, a, a bird out to see if, you know, the flood has subsided. It's a good idea. you got to wait a long time. Yeah, though, right? that's true. And so you're kind of waiting again in faithfulness to God, mm -hmm. believing in his promises. And then you get this weird thing about ravens and doves. Yeah, he starts out with a raven mm -hmm. and then switches to a dove. So one of the weird things about this story is that God specifies to Noah which animals are clean and which animals are unclean, mm -hmm. right? Which we're not going to see the detail of that until the Levitical laws. Yeah, that's true. Right, which is, you know, hundreds of years after this. Okay, yeah. But 
somehow he has told Noah what's clean and what's unclean. And, you know, the tr- interpretive tradition would tell you that what he tells Noah here is going to be brought forward and the clean and unclean animals in the actual mm-hmm. Mosaic covenant are going to correspond to this, right? And so um, he sends out the raven first, but it does not return. It says that it keeps flying back and forth or to and fro. Hmm. And so the raven, when you get to the law, we see that the raven is an unclean bird. Yeah. And the dove is a clean bird, which is an interesting thing to, to, to think about. And the raven is an unclean bird because it feeds upon the flesh of the dead. Yeah. It's a scavenger. So, so we, we get confused about why certain animals are clean and certain animals are unclean. Mm-hmm. There are some confusing elements of that when you get into the details of Leviticus. Mm-hmm. But by and large, most of it has to do with death and life. Yeah. And what we've seen so far is that the story of the Bible is a story of death and life. Mm-hmm. That God is the God of life and our sin brings about death. And so there are animals that correspond to life and there's animals that correspond to death. And so in the, in the law of Leviticus, they're not allowed to eat predators because mm-hmm. predators feed on the flesh of living animals. And they're not allowed to eat scavengers because scavengers feed upon the flesh of the dead. Mm. And so the, the, when you read Leviticus, there's this weird thing about chewing the cud. Yeah. Like you can only, like the clean animals are the ones that chew the cud. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because they're not feasting on life. Yeah, they're eating grass. Or, or, de- or death. Yeah. They're eating plants, yeah. right? And so that, that correspondence with death makes them unclean because God is the clean of life and so, or is the, uh, the, the, the God of life. And so, um, you know, people in the, the law become unclean if they touch dead bodies. Mm-hmm. They become unclean if they have leprosy. Mm-hmm. Leprosy is a skin disease that makes it look like you're disintegrating. Yeah, it's like decaying of flesh. <laughs> yeah. decaying of, so all of this has to do with, with death and life, right? Mm-hmm. So the raven, the unclean bird goes out first and it, and it goes to and fro or back and forth. And so there's another famous passage about going to and fro okay. or back and forth that people might recognize if you've read the, the book of Job. And it's because there's a strange scene in the book of Job, the very beginning when mm-hmm. God opens his divine counsel. And he's, he's talking about how great Job is and how faithful and righteous Job is. And it says that the Satan shows up. Yeah. And God asks the Satan what he's been doing. And he says, he's been roaming throughout the earth going to and fro yeah, or back and forth. Mm. So remember, Satan is the king of the dead. Yeah. And what does a raven eat? Dead The things. dead things. Yeah. What does the serpent cast down into the dirt to eat the dust of the dead? Right? Mm-hmm. So you have these connections to the spiritual, the, the you know, spiritual significance. Uh, and so the raven's flying to and fro. Uh, but the but doves do not eat the dead. Yeah, so the raven doesn't return because presumably it can eat the dead that were left over. Yeah, it's the dead scavenging. Animals. Yeah. Right? Um, but the dove can't. And so it, when it goes out and there's no dry land, and there's no life yet. Yeah, it's it looking back. for vegetation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it comes back. And uh, it keeps coming back because it's not going to feast off of the flesh of the dead. Yeah, that's right? good. And so when the dove... Uh, finally brings back an olive branch, it shows that life has restarted. Mm -hmm. The vegetation has come up from the waters. Mm -hmm. And um, in both Jewish and Christian theology, an olive tree is a symbol of peace. 
mm-hmm. and a symbol of anointing. Um, the kings and the priests were anointed with olive oil. Olive oil was used to light the menorah in the temple. The menorah is a symbol of the tree of life. Mm-hmm. And so the tree of life is fueled by olive oil yeah. pressed. Um, and, and so this idea of the dove bringing back an olive branch is a sign that vegetation has come back. And it's also a sign because of what an olive tree and olives mean. It's a sign that peace and shalom is coming back because life is coming back. Mm, yeah. And so the water is receding to the point where the olive trees are no longer submerged. And so when it goes out a third time, it doesn't come back because now it can live. Yeah. There's not just a, a tree or some trees that have emerged. There's enough for a, a habitable yeah, yeah. Life. Yep. Yep. And so the when the the dove does not come back, they they understand that the waters have receded to the point yeah. where they can get off the boat. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do thirteen through nineteen. By the first day of the first month of Noah's six hundred and first year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the twenty seventh day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wives and his son's wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land came out of the ark, one kind after another. So the water has dried. And so God tells Noah to come out of the ark with all the animals so that they can multiply mm. and be fruitful and increase in number. Mm-hmm. What is that? Where does that take us back to? Genesis 1. <laughs> Genesis 1. And 2, yeah. Yep. And so creation is restarting. It's been salvaged. The earth has been cleansed. The evil of humans has been washed away. And it's being restarted first with the animals. And so all the animals come out and creation is ready to restart. Mm. Yeah. Um. But there's a question that we have to address. And the question, if you're, you know, if you're reading the story is, won't this just keep happening? Yeah. I mean, if the, if, if the earth is going to get flooded every time humans ruin it with sin. Won't that happen pretty often? Yeah. Or yeah. is everyone from this point forward just going to be righteous? Right. That seems like the two options. Right. So, yeah. So, so those are the two options. And as we can see by the world that we live in is probably not the second option. Yeah. And so um, if humans remain free in the sense that they have volition, then the possibility of choosing evil instead of good is going to remain. And so won't that just keep happening? And so like, it's, it would be weird if it was like, yeah, every, every, you know, there's this cycle where every few hundred years, the world's going to flood so that God can cleanse it and restart it with a remnant, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't seem like what God wants. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what, what's he going to do? Hmm. How how does that question get addressed? So let's read uh, 20 through 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Hmm. So what's the first thing Noah does? Yeah, he builds an altar and sacrifices an offering. Makes a sacrifice. 
Yeah. So, so there's something that we keep seeing that the first and the best go to God. Yeah. Right. And that is something we continue in our tradition mm-hmm. as Christians. Uh, that is the point of tithing. Mm-hmm. People don't usually put that together, but the point of tithing is that, you know, you get a paycheck and the first 10% goes to the, the church. first, yeah. So it's not, it's not that you build a budget, see how much you have left over, and then you give that to God. Yeah. It is that you build your budget around the fact that the first 10% goes to God mm-hmm. because the first and the best goes to God. This is, uh, the, there's going to be a whole festival of first fruits in yeah. Israel where it's like, will the crops come in this year? We don't know. Okay, here they are. The first ones that come in, instead of hoarding that and making sure we have a little, we take the first and we give it to God. Yeah. Because it's an act of faith. It's an act of trust. It's an act of believing in the promising of God. And so so Noah makes a, a thanksgiving or, or a praise offering to God because God has restarted creation mm-hmm. and he has spared Noah. Um, and so in the law, you're going to see this designation that says burnt offering. And so he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And I don't really know exactly what to say about this translation, except the fact that it's very misleading. Hmm. And not in the way that really like changes anything like specific, okay. because you do burn these offerings and that's why it's called that. But the offering itself is actually called Olah, which means to go up or to ascend. Hmm. So it's an ascension offering is a more wooden translation of it. And that's because the whole thing is burned. Hmm. It's it's burned whole to God. You don't get any of it. Oh, yeah. And so the point of that is that it's because it's a Thanksgiving offering. So it's different than when we talked about an offering of like when a we see later. Yes, or, an offering where then we partake yeah. in eating. Yeah, a whole, a whole burnt offering okay. is an Olah offering, a going up offering, because the whole thing goes to God. And so Noah takes some of the clean animals and he, and the whole thing goes to God. That's so interesting that for a sin offering, we still partake and commune with God, but just when we give thanks, it's just all to God. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So interesting. Exactly. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting, like sometimes the questions that we ask are not the questions that the biblical authors or the characters that are in the Bible or the actors in the Bible are asking. So we say, how could God flood the world? Mm-hmm. But Noah sees what has happened as a profound act of grace. Yeah, he doesn't come out of the ark angry at God. No, he comes out of the, yeah. the ark and he offers one of the clean animals that he has entirely to God yeah. or several of the clean animals that he has entirely to God. And so he surrenders this, you know, all to God. Mm-hmm. And so Noah seems to understand this idea of grace a little bit differently than we mm-hmm. tend to in, in our modern conception of fairness yeah, for or, sure. or whatever. And so, um, you know, he, he, like we said last time, I think we said, or maybe we said it's the beginning of this episode, I can't remember, but uh, he knows which animals are clean. Yeah. So God has designated this already to him, which, which is interesting. And then God says, uh, when he smells the pleasing aroma, he says in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Yeah. Okay, so this addresses the question that we asked. So will God keep doing this? Mm-hmm. Will he allow this to keep happening because mm-hmm. of our sin? Mm. And the answer is, is no. He says, never again will I curse the ground. But if you look at how it's phrased, he says, never again will I curse the ground. And we say, we translate it, even though. Hmm. 
Hmm. Every inclination of the of the human heart is evil from childhood. But that word key in Hebrew is a preposition that can be used for different things. And I actually think that the the probably the best translation is uh, because or for. Yeah. So never again will I do this because every inclination of the human heart is evil. Hmm. Which is an interesting turn of, of, of events because that's the reason this happened. Yeah. Like the flood happened. The world was decreated because of the sin and the evil of humans. And now God says, because you're evil, I'll never do this again. Yeah, it's so interesting. Which is interesting. And I think what, what this means is that God has has chosen us. Yeah. Despite ourselves. Absolutely, despite ourselves. So he, he, he chooses us as his images, his delegated authorities, despite the fact that we're compromised. Yeah, and, the, and we'll see it right away. You know, yeah, yeah, maybe we, <laughs> we think, well, Noah's good now and he'll stay good forever. But right away, things get off track again. But God says, I'll work with you anyways. Yeah, we've been saying this the whole time. We're not particularly good at this image of God thing. No, yeah. Right? It doesn't seem like we, we respond to God's love the way we should. Yeah, and it's not like it takes generations, right? right? Adam immediately, and we'll see later Noah immediately. It was Adam, and it was Cain, and it was Cain's descendants. Right, and every it was generation. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, what God is, I think, you know, what this sets the stage for and why this promise to Noah is so important is because what this tells us is that from this point forward, God chooses us mm-hmm. despite our sin. Mm-hmm. And that means that things are not going to go very smoothly because we're sinful. Right. Things that happen to the world in Genesis, you know, three through six are going to keep happening in the world. Yeah. It's like you're like working with a kicking and screaming toddler in yeah. a way, right? Yeah, exactly. Like you're working with them, but man, it'd be easier if you were working without them, maybe. It'd be, be more efficient. Yeah. I mean, you know, it always seems like I laugh with like when you come back in our kids ministry, because it's like yeah, all, or if you have like, if you know a parent or if you're parenting young children, they want to do the opposite thing that's going to keep them alive. Yeah. (laughs) They don't want to eat. They don't want to sleep. Yeah. Right. So none of that's very efficient. Right. Right. None of that is, makes anything go smoothly, but you as the parent who loves them, choose them. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be, it would be, we would think it insane if a parent was like, well, this, this two-year-old is really not doing well, what he's I want not to do. listening. I'm going to get rid so, of him. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, yeah. So, so God has done the same thing here. He commits himself to us knowing all that we are, mm-hmm. knowing all that we could be and knowing what we might become in the opposite direction. He chooses us. And so again, there is this grace And this is important as we move forward because the compromised nature of humanity is going to make God's movement through his images complicated and messy. Mm -hmm. You know, humans are going to do things that are bad. And God, like we talked about last time, is going to have to move in that and through that. Yeah, he uses that for good. To bring good. Um, That's the story of, of Joseph. Yeah. Right? And so when God gets to, you know, bringing forth his people... Uh, his redemption moves through sinners. You know, Jacob's, uh, Jacob, what's his name mean? Yeah, the deceiver. Yeah, you know that because that's your name. That is, yeah, <laughs> that's basically my name. And so uh, Jacob is not, you know, Jacob's not particularly godly. It doesn't seem like. I mean, no. in some ways he is. Yeah. In some ways he's not. His sons, 
not particularly godly. Think yeah. about the things that they do. I mean, the stories about them are so weird that we don't read them. Mm-hmm. And part of that's because of the debauchery that they partake in and the swindling that they that they partake in. Yeah. They sell one of their brothers, Joseph, into slavery. Yeah. This, this is the family of God. These are the people that God is going to bring his promise through and look at what they're doing. And so, you know, Joseph, by being sold into slavery in Egypt, saves thousands of lives the people of God prosper. And at the end of Genesis, Jacob or Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, you intended it for evil, but yeah. God intended it for good. And so that is how God is going to move from here forward. Why? Because he chooses us. Because he chose us. And this is how we are. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, we're going we're gonna to get into the book of Judges. We're going to see people like Samson and Jephthah and others and we're going to see Saul and David and Solomon and all the other kings. And, you know, God does not co-sign their actions. Right. Right. Just because it's in the Bible does not mean it's prescriptive. Yeah. Right. So, so people get confused about this because it's like David is considered a hero, but look at what he did. And it's like, yeah, I know. Right. We're saying that's bad also. That's, uh, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the story of David and Bathsheba, like that is not what God wants David to do. In fact, mm-hmm. David is severely punished for that mm-hmm. and his life falls apart. And yeah. yet, who does Jesus come through? Mm-hmm. The line of David. Why? Well, because you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Again, with the parenting analogy, mm-hmm. you know, you have a good plan for your child. Mm-hmm. So even when your child messes up, you don't say, okay, now I have a bad plan for you or now you're left to your own mm-hmm. evil ways forever. I'm going to stop working with you to mm-hmm. raise you into a, the the man or woman you're supposed to be, you still work with your child. And wouldn't it be easier if they worked with you? Right. You know, if they did the right thing, but do you give up right. when they do something bad? No. Yeah. There's like a, we're, we're doing like a parenting series at church right now. And, yeah. and, and there's a book by Andy Stanley called parenting, which is good. And he talks about how, you know, a, a easier said than done, of course, but a good yeah. philosophy for, for parenting would be is like if something like, you know, your child gets a speeding ticket, like you, you I'm sure wish that they didn't do that. Right. The question is, what are you going to do in the midst of that? Mm-hmm. And he has this example of how he made his son read the back of the ticket, figure out what he was supposed to do, go to court, uh, admit his guilt and go through that whole process And he says that his son's never had a speeding ticket again. Yeah. Now, that's not because, uh, you know, Andy manipulated his son into behaving a certain way. It's because in the midst of him doing something he wasn't supposed to do, goodness came out of it. Yeah. There was a formation that happened in that, right? And so this is what the story of the Bible is going to be. The line of Davidic kings are almost all bad kings. And even the good ones aren't that good. Mm -hmm. And God moves through them. And so that's the promise to Noah. That's why this Noahic covenant that I'm never going to do this because your hearts are evil is the most important covenant of the Bible. It is the foundational covenant. It is what everything else comes through uh, because God chooses us. He wants us. It's not Mm -hmm. expedient. It's not efficient. Yeah. It doesn't work very well sometimes. The people that he chooses do not always listen to him. You know, uh, we, we're going to talk about Moses. You know, Moses refuses to do what God asks him. Mm-hmm. Like Aaron is assigned to be a priest only because Noah won't do it. 
Moses won't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Only because Moses won't right. do it. And so that is like, I'm sorry, but like, that's not like, is that what did God want Moses to disobey him? So then, that, then God could get angry at him. So then God could assign Aaron. Right. It's like, n- not really. Right. But he moves through our sinfulness, our disobedience. He moves through everything Mm -hmm. and we will experience the consequences of our actions. Like it's not like because he chooses us, we get off scot-free. Right. The kings don't get off scot-free. David doesn't get off scot-free. You know, you're going to see here in a second, Noah's family is not going to get off scot-free. None of that. That's not how it works. And yet the plan of God continues to move forward because we are his images. We are compromised. We don't do what we're supposed to do. And yet God has chosen us. He's not mm-hmm. going to wipe us out. He's not going to start over. There is no plan B. And if he's going to move through us, it's going to look messy. Yeah. It's going to look like a man after God's own heart committing adultery mm-hmm. and then committing murder. Mm-hmm. It's going to look like that. It's going to look like the judges who God raises up to save his people being horrible mm-hmm. in certain situations, you know? And it's going to look like you and I as the church, you know, people, people, uh, there's lots of people in church who have what we call church hurt. Yeah, They've been hurt by churches. They've been hurt by pastors. They've been hurt by people in the church. And sometimes that drives us away from the faith. And mm-hmm. I understand why, especially depending on the kind of hurt that you experience. But the one thing that we do have to be honest about is like from the very beginning, starting with Noah, that is the way things are going to be. Yeah, There's going to be sin. There's going to be evil. Hopefully in a life dedicated to God, you transform and you change. Mm-hmm. And that starts to take up less space in your soul. And the spirit starts to take up more space in your soul. And yet it's still there. Why does God continue to choose you? Well, because he wants you and he loves you and he loves us and he wants us. Yeah. And so all the evil in the world that we do cannot stop his love for us. Mm-hmm. Now we might destroy ourselves. That is a possibility, and you see that in the Bible. David essentially destroys himself with that sin with Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the promises of God go forward. And, you know, there is nothing about what Joseph's brothers did to him that God cosigns. Mm-hmm. And yet God moves through that and brings deliverance only because yeah. he chose them. It's the grace of God, the Noahic covenant. I choose you even though you're evil. And so, you know, uh, this covenant should completely erase from our minds this idea that the things that you read about in the Bible are prescriptive. Yes. They're not. Yeah. There are prescriptions, but much of what you see the people of God doing, much of what you see Jesus' disciples doing, Mm -hmm. much of what apparently the church is doing when Paul is writing to them in these letters, is not co-signed by God, but he's promised to move through the mess through the sin, through the them continuously turning away and turning back and turning away and turning back. And uh, he's going to use those things to move his plan forward. You know, we talked, we talked last time about, about evil mm-hmm. and the problem of evil and how the power of God is such that he can move even in that evil and take that evil and bring forth good. That's what he says to, to Joseph at the end of Genesis and that's, that's what we see in our lives. Uh, when Paul talks about uh, certain people in the church who are doing certain things that show that their allegiance is not to God, he prescribes how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. He talks about multiple confrontations with them. And then he talks about casting them out to Satan. Yeah. And we look at that and we think that's not grace. 
But what Paul says is you give them over to evil for the salvation of their souls. Yeah. That, that to give someone over to that after refusal to repent will in their life a lot of times bring about a judgment that very well might bring them back to God. Yeah, to say you're living in sin, here's what you want to continue to live in sin. Exactly. And to realize that that gives you nothing. Exactly. And so even the powers of the devil can be used Mm -hmm. to bring people to Christ, to bring people to God. Mm -hmm. And all of that is because God has chosen us, even though we tend to align ourselves with the forces of evil, disobey him, turn away from him and destroy his creation and hurt each other and all the things that, that you see. And so um, the final point to make here is this does not fully answer the question of why does God allow evil? It's a very difficult question. Yeah. But one answer to the question that you at least have to wrestle with before you dive into the deeper ontological questions of what evil is, is um, you ask the question, why does God not get rid of evil? One of the answers to that question is that if he were to get rid of evil, he would have to get rid of you. Yeah. What a hard thing to wrestle with. I think when we ask this question, we say secretly, I'm good. Everybody else around me is evil. Yeah. So why can't you get evil out of the world? Right. I'm good. Everybody else is kind of bad. Yeah. And there's a, um, a, a classical interpretation of evil that evil is not actually a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of times we just want God to like take the evil out the of thing. us. Yeah. Like it's a thing that you can touch. But but really what evil is in the historical church interpretation is it's a privation of good. It's who we are. And it's what we do. Yeah. Right. So like what is evil? Well, it's when we turn away from God mm-hmm. and everything that comes from the fruit of that. Right. Well, why can't he take that away? Well, because he'd have to make you a different kind of being that is not an image of God in the way that he created us. Yeah, There would have to be no volition. There would have to be some kind of automaton existence that we live. Yeah, It's not who we are. He wants a relationship. Relationship requires some kind of choice. Yeah. And do we even want that? Would we even want to be forced, like a a forced turn towards God? Would we truly want that? No, we would say... This is this is unfair. Right. So what is so what where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves as beings who God chooses and in our life there are times where we're faithful to him. Mm-hmm. There's times where we sin. There's fruit that is born when we're faithful and there is bad fruit, rotten fruit that's born when we're not faithful. Mm-hmm. And we at the same time have to interact in a world that's full of evil that's full of good things and bad things. And it's all very complicated. And yet, because that's the way the world is, and that's what he's created, the the promise that we rest in is that he's chosen us. Yeah. And he chose us all the way back here. Genesis chapter eight, because the human heart is evil at all times, I'm never gonna do this again. And so we live complicated lives. And when you really have that conversation with people, they don't actually want their their choice to be taken away. Yeah. Right? They don't actually want to be a different kind of creature. They don't love the things that they do that are evil, and they don't love the things that are done to them that are evil. And that's that's normal, and that's reasonable to not love those things. Yeah. 
So why is it like that? Well, because God has chosen the world to be run by us images who are compromised. Mm -hmm. That's what he says right here in Genesis 8. That's what the whole thing is. And what's so beautiful about the biblical story is how does the redemption of the world ultimately come about? Yeah. What happens to Jesus? He becomes flesh and blood, and, and he does. he's sinned upon. Yeah. <laughs> he's killed. Yeah. So the very thing that God, uh, that can decreate the world, God uses that mm -hmm. to save the world. Good. That is the climax of, of redemptive history. That's the climax of, of the story. And so, you know, we do have to understand that God could get rid of evil. Mm -hmm. He would have to get rid of you, and he doesn't want to. He wants you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to save you. He wants to work through you, even though you're compromised and even though you are the way that you are, good and bad. Mm. And this foreshadows the rest of the story of Scripture, and all of redemption is going to go through compromised humanity, and even the death and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ happens through evil. Mm -hmm. He's the God in the flesh is rejected and sent to the cross. He's turned away from, and from that comes redemption of the world. Jesus could have rose from the dead and uttered the exact same words that Joseph utters at the end of Genesis. You chose it for evil. God has chosen it for good. Yeah. Right? And so all of that is pure Noahic covenant stuff. So the covenant with Noah is the foundation of all the future covenants. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk next time about the rainbow as the sign of the covenant and what that means. And that's somewhat important. But usually we just think that the covenant with Noah means he's not going to flood the world again. Mm -hmm. It's not what it means. We're missing the why. It means that he chooses yeah. us despite the fact that our sin should bring about the flood. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, and he protects us and he chooses us and he moves through us. And that makes the world messy and imperfect. And we act like God doesn't know that sometimes. Yeah. And yet his covenant with Noah, Genesis chapter 8. He does know that. He's like, I know it, and you're doing it. And you're doing it. Yeah. And I'm going to use you anyways. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to move through you anyways, because I created you and I love you. Mm. And I want to have you. So beautiful. So it really is beautiful. Even the flood. Yeah. Right? Which is one of the questions that I get over and over and over again in, in the church from people is like, the flood seems like a bit much, but it's really a story of grace. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so is the rest of, of the Bible. And so next time... We are going to get into Genesis chapter nine and maybe 10. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how, how nine goes. <laughs> um, but this, this will uh, show us the restart of creation for humans. So he's given the restart of creation here to the animals, right? Mm -hmm. He says, be fruitful, multiply, do what you're supposed to do. And he's going to do the same thing with humans in, in Genesis nine. And, yeah. and they're going to, and, and then we're going to see how it goes with this first generation of new humanity, right? Which I think we can all guess how, how that's going to go. Yeah. But it's not a surprise because of the covenant that he gave to Noah. Yeah, not to us nor to God. Yes, yes. And it mm. should not surprise us. So, all right, Genesis chapter 8. Yeah. If you guys have any questions, um, comments, anything like that, feel free to email us. Reach out at uh, john at 514church.com or jackie yep. at 514church.com. And as always, if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, a rating. Yes, five stars, please. Only if it's five stars, please. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. Well, we will see you next time on Story Simple Spirit.